I have never been in a community that is as supportive, energetic, and as decent as this community. It's probably got the best palette of arts administrators that I've ever seen. Hello, and welcome to Arts In, also known as AI, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and today I am with Bob Baransik, who is an artist and a philosopher and a writer and a really a Renaissance human being. The interesting thing, particularly living in St. Pete with artists in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s isn't so much that they're still working. What's interesting and inspiring is that they're working at a professional level and sometimes a level of excellence that we see quite often here in St. Pete. I grew up in Chicago, uh, went to school in Providence, Rhode Island, lived in Portland, Oregon in the early 70s. I lived in both Palo Alto and Berkeley in a lot of the 70s, New York in the 80s, Philadelphia. And then in the 90s and early part of the um, 21st century, lived up in Portland, Maine and Philly. So I've seen a lot of the creative communities. Wanted to talk about why I like St. Pete so much and why my wife and I have chosen to throw our lot in with the Tampa Bay. And it comes down to, believe it or not, housing. Housing, even though it has greatly uh, escalated, maybe even a little bit of a bubble here, it's still a fraction the cost of other places. The area that I call the Corridor to Tomorrow, Whenever I get a little depressed here, I always go to the Dali Museum and that beautiful patio by the Mahaffey Theater. And you look out over the water and the great Florida Orchestra and the great Dali Museum, the wonderful USF campus with their number one marine science unit and then the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric people. And then Johns Hopkins is just putting in a new research facility and then Bayfront, which then flows into the Warehouse Arts District. So... There's a, a cambium layer here in St. Pete that is just growing and is really quite spectacular. There's a, a knowledge and creative economy being created here. And having come here about 13 years ago, my wife and I could sense the bones here, and that's why we bought in 48 hours after visiting the city. If you go to New York, what's the first thing they ask you? Well, it's how rich you are. You go to Boston, first thing they ask you, how smart you are. You go to Philadelphia, the first thing they ask you is, who's your great-grandfather? What do they ask you when you move to the Pinellas County, Tampa Bay area? That is a great question. They don't ask anything. And that's the great, great advantage of Florida, and particularly the Tampa Bay. Self-invention. You hit the, that's the exact word. It is self-invention. So in the sense for very creative people, particularly those who would like to become emerging artists in their 50s, this is a good place to do it. It's a fabulous place to have what's diplomatically called an encore career instead of just being an old fart, that you are an encore or a veteran performer or artist. And I would say that the Tampa Bay is probably the number one destination for artists of all types and creative types over 55. Mm. It's a good life here. Do you want money for art or do you want money from art? And it brings two very, very different lifestyles and outcomes in your what life. What if you want both? 
I think, you know, I suppose anything is possible, but the reality is I was very involved in an area of the country where the computer revolution started. I was at Stanford in graduate school in the early 70s, and I knew a lot of the people, actually, who... uh, brought a lot of the so-called Silicon Valley to life. It wasn't hard to do. They were just wandering, wandering around. And that has changed everything. The digital revolution turns art into a commodity, almost all art, including the highest levels of classical music, into commodities that don't cost much of anything. So it's going to become easier and easier using the computer technology to create wonderful things. But it's going to be harder and harder to earn a a living at it. The other thing what the digital revolution does is that you can watch all kinds of do-it-yourself videos and just about anything and develop skill sets. When I was a, a young person a million years ago, the thing was to try to get into the best art school you could. And because there, there weren't a lot of places necessary to get art training. So both my wife and I actually went to the Rhode Island School of Design, which was considered quite, quite good at the time. Right. But the reality is, it isn't that RISD has dropped in quality, but everything else has risen in quality. Sure. So many people are self-taught because you can teach yourself and those kinds of resources are readily available at no cost. And when you take websites or podcasts, a podcast done by uh, Creative Pinellas will have the same quality as one done by the new, literally the New York Times. The great beneficiaries of this digital revolution are people in music, uh, hands down. Studios that would have cost a million or three million dollars. Now, really, you're talking eight thousand dollars of software well, and, sure. and hardware. I believe that most of the arts now are a gift economy, and it drives all my friends crazy who are trying to still squeeze blood out of a rock or money out of a stone. Art exists for a Greek concept called paideia. Paideia is a classical concept that our purpose in life is to basically to perfect our brains and ourselves. That is our lifelong journey, our lifelong task. And the arts, as I think Frederick Nietzsche, of all people, said, uh, art is the proper task of life. As life has gotten easier and easier, there's no question about it, just with the technology and just having dishwashers and dryers and things like that and access to cars and so on. A stove and an oven instead of uh, wood burning. Right. It's like the old Maslow triangle is that once you get past the levels of survival, issues of meaning and issues of creativity come to the top of the pyramid. So you are going to see more and more people becoming artists and singers and actors and whatevers in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, and even 80s. It used to be there were high barriers to entry. If you want to get a really good job in advertising, you go to RISD or Parsons or Pratt or something like that. Now it's not necessarily that way. You show a portfolio or whatever. So barriers to entry are open to anyone who can find an audience.
My dad was a very good architect and painter. My mom was a superb painter and art teacher. Both grandmothers were painters. And so I grew up in the environment of art and creativity. I remember my dad always painting, my mother always painting, my grandmother on my father's side was also a concert level pianist. So there was always art and music just everywhere in, in, in my life. And having grown up in the Chicago area, I was born in 1950. Chicago was the nexus. A lot of people are not aware for the Bauhaus. And I had the very amazing experience to study while in high school with the protege of Paul Clay. Wow. It wasn't any, such a big deal because they were there. Maholi Naj, all these great people were at the Institute of Design. They had to go somewhere. Many of them were Jewish artists, intellectuals, but almost all were being persecuted by the Nazis. The person who basically trained me was a fellow named Paul Weichart, and his wife was Jewish. They barely escaped out through Russia, through China. The Quakers resettled them in Philadelphia, where Mr. Barnes of the Barnes Foundation became a patron. And then he ended up at the Art Institute of Chicago. He was head of painting for a lot of years, and politics got him out, but his friend Mies van der Rohe hired him at the Institute of Design to teach drawing. I knew him towards the end of his life. I studied with him on Saturday mornings. Mm. I would say 80% of what I've learned of any value was learned in those two years on Saturday wow. mornings, much more than what I ever learned at RISD or mm -hmm. at Stanford. In 1991, I was uh, sent by the American Jewish Committee with a group of people to go to Israel to study things there. The last stop, was at the Dead Sea, which is at the lowest part of the uh, world. And then a week and a half later, I was doing consulting work up in Telluride, Colorado, which is one of the higher parts of the world, and had a, a cerebral event. I became um, a subject of NASA research at Harvard. So it was an involuntary change in life. It was certainly not the life I had expected, but it was the life that I got. The first thing to do is to not ask the question, why me? The question that needs to be asked is, what's next? And that's a very interesting question. So you shared with me a book called Lamentations and Beyond, Healing Through Art. That book has some writing by you and some quotes, not by you, but then it has some just amazing visual work. That's all your work. What illness and age bring is that, well, you want to, I think everyone wants to tell a story that makes sense. And I think art allows us to tell a story, whether it's in words or pictures or, or sounds. And on some level, maybe all art or all authentic art is autobiographical on some level. And that book was probably the, if not the best thing I ever did, it was certainly things that were able to touch people. Virtually everyone who sees it resonates with it because it came so directly from my own experience. That was sort of my uh, will and testament of sorts. Mm -hmm. Well, the images in it are very powerful, both testaments to pain and testaments to hope and testaments to the transformative power of, of, of art. Art is very often a product of one's illness. It makes you think about what you want to do, because most of us, if you're healthy and making a few bucks, just life goes on, you're on automatic pilot. 
The epicenter of art therapy in the United States is in Philadelphia, where we're living. It's actually where it really developed by a woman named Myra Levick. And one of the things that I found is that creativity heals. The confusion is creativity does not necessarily cure, but it heals the mind and helps the body. And chronic illness, the two basic parts of it, for the patient at least, is boredom and anxiety about the future. When you're in creative flow, the essence of creative flow is being in the moment where time stops and you lose sense of your body and you just have this sense of almost joy or flow. One of the things that had been a life work of mine had been work with the Holocaust, which I had started when I was 27, now I'm 67, so I don't work on it obviously every day, but it's something that talks about uh, good and evil, for sure, and what it means to be living through periods of drastic change. Before I ever knew what St. Pete was, I had work in the Florida Holocaust Museum. So I've had a long relationship with the museum over, I think, four or five directors. And I have about 140 pieces in the collection. Actually, more because some of them are books that open up to 20, 40 pages. And sort of how I brand my art or what I do, it's called engaging the zeitgeist, engaging the spirit of the time. So most of the things I work on have to do with changes that are happening now. I've done a lot of work in climate change, genocide, a lot of political stuff. I'm looking at a book called Mundo Caliente, which is a print series that you did. Which became a video. The the artwork is just, it's beautiful. It's very powerful, very evocative. It's related to climate change. What it is, I'm a great believer in progress. I'm a great believer in the scientific mode of thinking. And we're living in an era, an era of anti-science anti-enlightenment values, something that I thought I would never see in my lifetime. I wanted to communicate with people difficult ideas. And one of the ways to do it is through humor, not through mathematics. So I first developed a print series and then worked with a wonderful filmmaker out of Rochester, New York, named Dave Pauls, a brilliant animator. Then I talked to some of my wonderful musician friends in Philadelphia, and I said, what can we do? He said, What's hot? The hottest thing is Latin music, so mambo music. So this is Mundo Caliente, it's the global warming mambo. So we have some really hot music and all sorts of humorous, (laughs) humorous if you think a a polar bear on a floating around on an iceberg is humorous, it was there, but there was elements of humor of just all these sort of images to to bring an awareness up to uh, the public. You know, it was in a a fair amount of film festivals. I don't know if it's changed anybody's mind. One of the difficulties of being an engaged artist, it's very hard to be at the cutting edge. I was always about seven to ten years ahead. The book on climate change was published in 2008. Deepwater Horizon. When that happened, I did a whole series of prints and videos. Nobody wanted to see it. But just recently, one of the prints was included in a large show at the New York Hall of Science. And I'd also done a lot of work on 9-11 that was sort of suppressed for a long time. And that was also shown at the International Print Center in New York and Chelsea at the same time. The problem is when you're that far ahead, 
there is no ability to get recognition, much less any income stream in the present, which has always been the dilemma for most artists. I, first of all, see myself as wanting to be a good husband and a good father. Those I see as my first task and trying to reconcile it with doing cutting edge work, which frankly requires a tremendous expenditure of money and time. The good news is that the digital revolution has brought the expenditure of money down but it's a dilemma that I certainly haven't solved, and uh, I don't know the I don't know the answer to it. I had the advantage of being at the Rhode Island School of Design and at Stanford in the late '60s, early '70s, and a lot of the people, particularly out on the West Coast, were the people that made what we call the digital era and the modern era. My cousin Linda was a uh, librarian at a, at a middle school in Palo Alto in the late 60s. She got bored with it and joined a little company. She was like one of the first hires at Apple. No mm. one knew what it was. She went through the whole thing of being the highest level woman at Apple and then the highest level woman at Microsoft. There was so much movement there during these times that I was a Zelig-like figure. I was always on the outside looking in. I think the most important thing for artists or creative people is to find your nation of two, and that is to find a spouse or a significant other that you can travel through life with. When you come into St. Pete, the number of creative couples here is astounding. The number of creative couples that have been married for 30, 40, 50, 60 mm. years exists like like my wife and I have been, just as like a dream, we've been married 35 years. And I think that makes all the difference is that I think wearing the art hat all the time is really tiring and often can be very depressing, but wearing the father hat or the husband hat or the uh, funny uncle hat or the do-gooder hat or whatever, right. these other hats take you out of that world. The way Amy and I have coped with the little upsy-downsies of the creative life is that for our social life, we don't tend to deal with the creative community because it's so difficult what people are literally going through on a daily basis that it's important to be remembered that most people just have jobs and are living their lives. Although, you know, I feel like here in Pinellas County, St. Petersburg, Safety Harbor, you know, the whole, kind of the whole county, even though these are very disparate cities, some of that thing that I call drama is not here. And the arts community is very supportive compared to other arts communities oh, I've seen. Oh, thank you for bringing and, that. And very healthy, you know, yeah. emotionally healthy, this is, I guess. I've lived in eight or nine creative communities, including an island off of Portland, Maine, for, for almost 10 years. I've lived in all these burgeoning communities, I have never been in a community that is as supportive, yeah. energetic, and as decent as this community. Also, just it's a semi-permeable community. Welcoming, yeah. And when we moved here, in the two weeks I came when sort of looking for a house, I made more friends here and connections in two weeks than I had made in Maine in six years. And uh, it, you know, it, was, it was astounding. That's funny, because a lot of people's 
founding stories for, you know, how did you come here? Well, I was here for some reason and I met somebody or I spent time at someone's house or I went to an event and there was a community there and I was so taken by the people. It's probably got the best palette of arts administrators that I've ever seen mm. in my entire life. Mm. All very competent, very nice people and all sort of pulling together. Not having these podcasts when I came and not having a creative Pinellas, you didn't have this kind of institutional structure where, you know, you have meetups where you can meet people. Yeah, yeah. I see an acceleration of community here. It was impressive until I got to St. Pete. And then all of a sudden, I, I didn't realize that I had affective, whether well, seasonal affective disorder. It's the uh, it's the sunlight, and that that showed itself in your artwork and your choice oh, of it, colors. It, it did. But the interesting thing, it went back to what it was because I used to come down here. I was brought to Florida since I was six months old. My grandparents on my dad's side lived in Coral Gables, and I was brought there. 19, I was there at least two weeks every year during the holiday season through uh, college for 22 years. Coconut Grove, when it was really like, you know, the you know, Bahamas or something. And I would paint all day with these reds and oranges and yellows. So actually, I'm sort of coming back to what I painted. <laughs> it was being up north like that that was the big change. Well, welcome back then. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. This has been a great and interesting conversation. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you. All right, thank you. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. And if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.